been a delightful weekend for us men uh, able to be at New Brunswick Bible Institute for Men of Valor. And it was the first time that I'd ever been to one of those conferences. I will go again. Uh, they fed us so many different ways. And uh, the food was amazing. And we have a host of gals that are associated with our church here that are on staff or helped out. And that was an amazing. I mean, there wasn't a guy there that was not totally thrilled with your labor of love. So thank you, ladies. And then for all the guys here, also the work behind the scenes that you guys did. A lot of times, you know, we see you, but we really don't know all that you do. Uh, but we really had the opportunity and the privilege. Um, you may want to. I was out this afternoon on their NBBI page. You can actually still download and listen to some of the seminars and the testimonies. Um, we heard Jeremy Simpson's testimony. We also heard Steve Wagstaff's testimony. You can find those, listen to them. Just amazing. But also the Word of God. Whenever we have a guest speaker that comes in, uh, you're kind of like, okay, how is this going to work? We don't know them. They don't know us. They're from there. We're from here. And, you know, is this going to work? I can honestly say from the get-go, you could tell that this was a divine appointment. And our brother came with a willing heart and a very sensitive uh, understanding of how God would have him present. And he opened the word of God to us. And as men, it was delightful. It was challenging. It was a little bit convicting, I have to say. But I want you to know we walked away from it better because of the time. So thank you, ladies, for allowing your husbands uh, to go and, and take that. I know on a Saturday that's a tough go, uh, but we thank you for that. And men, I want to encourage you. It's great to go away, but we have to come back, don't we? And on Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock, I want to encourage you to come out. That's a meeting for men. It's been growing. We've been having a great opportunity together. I want you to be there, be part of it. And we'll be telling you a little bit more about February. We've got some things planned for you. But anyway, you know, God loves you. Pastor Wayne's got a plan for your life. <laughs> anyway. The reason we're here tonight is to open the Word of God, and Dr. Leslie uh, Lofquist is with us tonight, and I'm going to let him come, and he's going to give us a background of who he is a little bit. He can do it a lot better than I can. I could probably fabricate some of the things, but I don't think that would be helpful. Uh, I just want you to know, first, out of the gate, he's a man of God. Man of valor, valor are not just something that we kind of decorate. It's something that you become. It's character. And I can say to you tonight that we have a man of character in the house, and I want you to listen and give him your undivided attention this evening. Sir? Thank you so much, Pastor Wayne. Well, it's great to be here. Um, I really, you know, you, pro you probably have speakers say that a lot, but uh, I grew up in Minnesota. That's uh, the last name, Lofquist, is Swedish, and uh, lots of Swedes in Minnesota. That's where I grew up. And uh, my... Uh, one grandfather was from Sweden, and my other grandfather, uh, his name was Leslie. And I told the men this weekend, I always wish his name had been uh, Spike or Bud or something like that. I was named after my grandpa. So uh, Leslie and then Lofquist. Uh, the other thing uh, uh, that I do uh, right now, I am uh, um, I, I'm the executive director of IFCA International. It's a fellowship of churches that began um, in Cicero, Illinois, right outside of Chicago in 1930. And uh, we have uh, 2,000 churches and pastors in the U.S. 
and then uh, anywhere between three and 4,000 all, ar all around the world, like in uh, uh, 23 other countries. So uh, um, I oversee our fellowship. That means I spend a lot of time uh, on the road speaking in churches, at conferences. Uh, we have six member uh, Bible colleges and seminaries. Um, I speak in those places, and then I am involved in uh, 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 pastor conferences, trying to encourage our pastors to stay faithful to the Word of God, not give in, not to quit, to, but to keep preaching the Word of God and, and staying faithful. Um, and uh, so I, I do that, plus I edit a magazine, and I do all kinds of other things. Uh, but uh, this is the first time for me ever to be in New Brunswick. And uh, I, I've been looking forward to this ever since Matt invited me. So uh, that's when, when I say I'm glad to be here, I really mean that. And since I grew up in Minnesota and our, our home office now is in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, we get about 10 feet of snow a year. Uh, so I'm used to snow. And, and I looked out my window looking, uh, waiting for Matt to pick me up. And the snow was just kind of dancing you know, across the road. And I said, oh, that looks like Minnesota now. So I just said, wow, this is wonderful. So uh, thank you very much uh, for uh, sending me some snow and making me feel welcome. Because when I got here, I said, this is New Brunswick. Like there's a little wisp of snow over there and a little pile there. And so we got a little bit. So that's great. Um, all of our churches uh, in the IFCA, uh, we all believe the same thing. We're united around our common doctrine. And the, and the common doctrine is the same doctrine as NBBI has, for example. Um, we're, we're in different cultures. And, uh, um, and so it, it, it is not about a cultural expression, um, nor is it about the demographics. You know, uh, uh, we have different kinds of churches. I'll preach uh, one week in a Chinese church and another week in an African-American church. I'll speak uh, through translation to Spanish people. So we have different cultures, different demographics, uh, different locations, um, uh, different worship styles. Uh, I always have to ask the pastor, I say, what should I wear? Did you notice he and I actually are almost exactly, I've got a sweater on, but if you took my sweater off, we've got the same outfit on, uh, gray pants, because you know, I asked him, what are you going to wear? And the reason is because uh, wherever I go, you know, some churches, the Sunday evening service, it's a tie. Sometimes it's a sweater, sometimes Sunday morning. Um, you know, it, so that's not what unites our churches. We're not united around the way we dress. Uh, we're not united around any of that stuff. Uh, we're united around Jesus Christ and a common understanding of our doctrinal convictions. And uh, uh, all true believers, whether you're in our kind of church, an IFCA church or not, all true believers... Um, are united in Jesus Christ. And then we have our doctrinal convictions. Uh, that's what kind of uh, places us into um, the group that we're in. But uh, all believers in Jesus Christ have eternal blessings. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, our blessings in Christ. So I'd like you to open your Bibles up to uh, Romans chapter 5. I just, for the man, I spent just a couple minutes there yesterday. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of uh, the rest of the tonight in Romans 5. And we're going to talk about the blessings true believers have in Jesus Christ. I was not raised in a Christian home. Um, I was raised in a good home, stable home. My mom and dad were married for uh, 55 years. Uh, my dad is, was a veteran of World War II. Um, he flew 35 missions in a B-17 bomber over Germany. And uh, um, he... Uh, taught his kids, including me, he had seven children. 
He taught us all to be patriotic, to be loyal, to be faithful and true. Uh, he taught us to be uh, respectable and respectful. He taught us to obey mom and dad and the teachers and the police officers and our coaches and um, be honest, work hard. He taught all those things. And, and for that, I'm so grateful. But I wasn't raised in a Christian family. And, and it wasn't until I was uh, 17 years old that I heard the gospel for the first time. I didn't respond to it uh, right away. In fact, it took a year and a half. I debated the Christians who were presenting the gospel to me. Uh, they were uh, uh, four girls in my high school class. Uh, they themselves had just come to know Christ as their Savior. They were on fire for Christ, and, and I could see how different they were. And so they started sharing the gospel with me, and I started mocking them and ridiculing them and laughing at them, except they were cute. So I'd still hang out with them a little bit. Um, and uh, they would always tell me, I'd, I even asked one of them out on a date, and she said, well, I can't date you. I said, Why? She said, you're not a Christian. I said, well, I'm an American. <laughs> We're all Christians. America's a great Christian nation. That's what I was trying to tell her, you know. If you're from India, you're a Hindu. If you're from America, you're, an, you're a Christian. And she said, that's not how it works. And so she was sharing the gospel uh, with me, and I just uh, constantly debated. But you see what happened. God saved me, changed me, and a uh, uh, passage here in Romans chapter 5 is a great description of the blessings now that as a true believer in Jesus Christ, I experience. And if you're a true Christian, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you will have these same blessings as well. So let's take a look at them here in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We'll stop reading there. Uh, we'll come back and read some more. But uh, there's a, a several blessings right there in those first verses. Uh, it starts out by saying, Therefore, having been justified by faith. The word therefore begins the chapter and it connects uh, chapter 5 with all the other uh, chapters in, uh, preceding in the book of Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith. The first of our blessings is justification by God. Justification by God. Uh, that word is, is a vital word to understand, and a lot of people um, have a little bit of an understanding of it, but I want to spend a little time tonight talking about justification by God. This word, or uh, justified, in Greek, the root is righteous or righteousness. And it's used 30 times in the book of Romans. And... Uh, uh, literally, the theologians would say justification is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous on the basis of Christ's righteousness. It's not about my righteousness, but his. And uh, it's his righteousness is deposited into my account. where his righteousness is marked into God's ledger as my righteous. It's a legal word. Uh, it comes out of uh, uh, the, the world of uh, uh, law in the first century. And, uh, and it's used uh, quite a bit. I think really a very helpful passage it, because, again, it says, therefore, having been justified. Now, let's take a look at uh, the, uh, the earlier chapters. Let's look at chapter 3. Chapter 3. It says, uh, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God. See, righteousness of God, verse 21. Verse 22, righteousness of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified. There's our word. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So you can see already in verse 21, righteousness. Verse 22, righteousness. And then verse 24, being justified freely. The word righteous is right in that, the same Greek root word is, uh, is in that word justification as used in righteousness in the other verses. Um, I grew up in a very Catholic town. I was not a Catholic. Uh, my family uh, didn't go to church. Now, but in my town in Minnesota, we had about 30,000 people. And um, it was kind of just kind of like around here. It looked a lot like around here. And it was a standalone community. It wasn't like Toronto that just keeps going on and on and on. It was just like my town, Winona, and then farms and lakes and forests and meadows and, and 30, 40 miles and then another town about the same size and a couple little towns in between, stuff like that. So we were in this town. It was a very Catholic town. Now, there was a Catholic a college for girls, St. Teresa's, Catholic college for men, I should say women, St. Teresa's men, St. Uh, Mary's, and then there's St. Mary's Seminary to train Catholic priests, and there were uh, five uh, parochial grade schools and uh, a parochial uh, Catholic uh, high school, and so it was a very Catholic town, but I wasn't a Catholic. And in that town, if you weren't a Catholic, you were probably then a Lutheran. Well, we weren't Lutherans either. And so my dad, you know, all the Catholics and Lutherans would kind of bother me when I was a kid, you know, wanted me to go to their things. And so I asked my dad once, I said, Dad, um, what should I tell them when they ask me to go to church? He said, tell them you're a Methodist. I said, okay, why? He said, well, if you tell them you're a Methodist, the Catholics will leave you alone and... The Methodists will never know because they don't go to their church either. So, so I was a Methodist. That's what I said to people. And uh, that's how I was raised. My Catholic friends, um, after I became a Christian, I started sharing with them the gospel. And their understanding of justification is that it is a process. The more you get involved in the uh, sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church, the more righteousness you gain into your life. And so I, um, I would share, the, and I would share, no, that's not what justification is. They say, no, it's just, it's acquiring and gaining more and more righteousness through the course of your life. And I'd say, well, it says here in Romans 3, it says, being justified freely by his grace. See, the problem is, um, I would go back and show them. The problem is in verse uh, 23. For there's no difference for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. The problem, the definition of sin, isn't that you compare yourself to other people, because certainly there are some much nicer people, and there's some okay people, and there's actually mean people, and uh, criminals, and really bad people. And, but it says there's no difference for all have sinned, and the definition of sin there is fall short of the glory of God. So if you're not perfect as God, then you, uh, that, your lack of perfection is, is you, you'll sin. You're, you're a sinner. You are, all have sinned, and we do sin. And so that's the problem. We fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely 
by His grace. It's the unmerited favor of God. He grants to us His grace that we don't deserve. So, you go back uh, to uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith. And I'd say to my Catholic friends, I'd say, you see, that's a past tense verb. It's not, it's not that you're not being justified. You have been justified. I said, that happened to me on October 2nd, 1972, when I was 18 years old. I came to know Christ as my Savior. And at that moment, God declared me righteous, as righteous as Jesus Christ. It's kind of like a great exchange. My sin went on Christ, and His righteousness was counted to me into my account. This great exchange. My sin for His righteousness. And so this great exchange happened, and that's what justification is, declared righteous. You see, in chapter 3, says, being justified freely by His grace. So justification comes by grace. Chapter 5, verse 1, having been justified by faith. So it's by grace through faith. And so justification by God, uh, that is uh, uh, a great blessing. I mean, it's an overwhelming blessing to consider that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is uh, written into my account, my ledger book before God. And uh, he declares me righteous. So justification by God, first blessing that we have in Christ. Next one we see in verse 1 also. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the second of our blessings. Peace with God. First, justification by God. Here, peace with God. And uh, um, this isn't talking about the subjective feeling of peace. That's a Bible doctrine for believers. It's fruit of the Spirit. When uh, we know for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and then it goes on. But peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's a great blessing. Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Um, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The peace of God is important, and it is a Bible teaching. Uh, But um, did you hear what I said? I said the peace of God is a Bible truth. The peace that we feel when this world is so messed up, we can sense God's peace. And, and that is a Bible doctrine. But that's not what this verse is saying. Did you see it? Look at that preposition. We have peace with God. You see, that's a whole other story. And that is also a Bible truth. But uh, um, it's talking about the fact that between God and man... There's a war. I talked about this yesterday with the men, about how we're born. And even I I showed a picture, kind of funny picture, of this little kid, this little baby, about three months old or four months old, lifting his fist up, going like this. And uh, that's how we're born. We're born with our fists in the air toward God, saying, I don't want what you want for me. I'm not going to do that. You see, that was my problem. My problem... I grew up in a family very proud of our achievements, very proud of who we were. And I wasn't, and we weren't, our family, we weren't like all these other people. I told you my dad, he taught us to be honest, 
hardworking, respectful, uh, get good grades, be good in sports, work hard, all that stuff. So we weren't like everyone else. So that was my first problem. I looked at the definition of sin, and uh, I said, well, it's what they do, and it's that guy over there and that woman over there, not me. Until I saw Romans 3.23 as a problem for me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I knew I wasn't God. Um, The uh, second problem that I had, when I started hearing about the Word of God and I started hearing the Gospel, I said, I don't want this. And the reason I didn't want it is because I didn't want to ever bow my knee to anyone other than my coach or uh, teacher, but I wasn't even really bowing my knee. I was just obeying them, but I wasn't going to submit to anyone. And so uh, my fist was in the air towards God. I didn't want want what he had. And so, um, in essence, I was at war with God, and that is a Bible truth. That's a Bible teaching. There is a war. Look here. We're in Romans 5. Look at verse 10. It says, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were were enemies. That's a pretty strong word. And uh, I didn't believe it. I didn't accept it. I'd, I'd say, I'm not God's enemy. I'm nothing. He's nothing to me, and I don't really care. I'm just totally indifferent to all things religious. That was what I would say. But in my heart, I was an enemy. I was an enemy. Hold your finger here in Romans 5 and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 talks about this war going on between man and God. Colossians 1 verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So we see here, having made peace through the blood of his cross, alienated enemies. We were, we were at war with God and we were enemies. And there is an offer now of peace that God makes to us. And the offer of peace that He extends to us is only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, His Son. And so, uh, if you accept God's terms, and His terms involve you understanding your sinful nature before Him, confessing your sin before Him, repenting, of your sin before Him, asking for His forgiveness, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you do those, then you accept His offer of peace. And that's it. And uh, that was my problem. In the end, I was proud, and I didn't want Him to tell me that that was it. I didn't want to accept the offer. It took me a year and a half fighting it, and uh, reminds me of uh, the famous uh, English admiral, Lord Nelson. Uh, 
he would, he would, whenever he would uh, conquer, a, a, especially a French at that time in the early 1800s, he would, uh, they'd uh, enter onto the other ship, the French ship. And uh, in those days, very chivalrous, the idea was they would shake a hand and Admiral Lord Nelson would say, he would always say this, your sword first and then the handshake. And that's what God is saying to us. You're, a, en- you're an enemy. You have declared war against me with your life, with your attitudes, your sword first, and then the peace. Because you see, you'll never have the peace of God until you have peace with God. So he offers that peace to you, and you have to accept it or reject it. And so uh, back now to uh, Romans chapter 5. The blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, first blessing, justification by God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our second blessing. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Our third blessing is access to God. Justification by God, peace with God, access to God. You see, God is not accessible on your own. You just can't barge your way in there and say, well, here I am. You know, I'm this guy or I'm this woman and I'm barging in now and uh, you need to accept me as I am. No, um, there is, uh, it is not uh, a Bible truth that you can ac- access God on your own. Um, it started in, in, God's, uh, in God's way. He was trying to send the, the strong message to mankind that he's not accessible on our own. Started in the tabernacle, in the temple. Um, around the tabernacle in the temple, there was a, a, a fence to say, there is a place here. And in this place, um, he had his symbolic presence, the Shekinah glory of God, which is the, it was kind of like a glowing presence of God, Shekinah, Hebrew word. Uh, which means to dwell. So God is dwelling on earth in a symbol with this glowing presence. I'll describe that in a little bit. That was in the center. So there's this fence, and then there's the tabernacle or the temple. And the fence said, you, you just can't come in here on your own. You have to come through this fence. And then once you're there, there is a place where the Gentiles could go, and no, they could go no further, the court of the Gentiles. And then women could come, And then the women couldn't go any further. And then the Levites could come. um, And and, uh, then they couldn't go any further. And then the priests, which is from the uh, family of Aaron in the tribe of Levi. So there's Levites and then there's a smaller group within the Levites, the priests. And they're the ones who actually could handle the blood and the sacrificing. The other Levites, they would clean up the tabernacle, keep it maintained. They couldn't. Sacrifice unless you were a a priest. And so the priest, and then one priest, once a year, could go into the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, there was uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark was, uh, it comes from the Hebrew word archon, which means box. And so it was about this size, maybe a little smaller. But it, it had a lid you could lift off. And it was a box. And inside there were the tablets 
the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down, there was a sample of manna that was to be in there and also Aaron's rod that budded when he was in the contest and controversy with Pharaoh. Remember, he dropped his uh, rod and uh, it, it, uh, it turned into a snake that ate the other uh, uh, magicians of Egypt's uh, snakes. And then um, the, uh, Aaron's rod budded as proof of God's, God's miracles and working through Aaron and Moses. So primarily, though, most importantly, the Ten Commandments were in here. And on the lid of the box, there were uh, God instructed to put little like statues. The statues were angels on their knees with their wings pointed. One had angel had his wings pointed this way, kneeling down. And uh, the other angel had his <clears throat> on his knees with his wings pointed this way. <coughs> and so inside the, the ark, the box, is the covenant, ark of the covenant, the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Over the wings was this glowing presence of God and the Shekinah glory. And uh, the high priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. There was a, a veil. And the veil went all the way up and, the, and it went up uh, 30 feet. The veil went all the way up and it, it separated the Ark of the Covenant and where all the other people could come progressively out to the Gentiles. But this, this, uh, this veil, the high priest could go in once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And he would bring in the blood and he would spatter it on that lid. And symbolically saying the blood is covering the judgment of the Ten Commandments for one more year. And a glowing presence of God right over here, symbolic of His holiness and His presence. You could only come into the presence of God with the blood, and only one man could do that. That was the high priest. And he would come in on Day of Atonement and do that. Well, you might remember, and uh, we'll be seeing it in just a couple of months on Good Friday, in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, when Christ died, on the cross at the moment of his death, it says in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one that veil was, was ripped, supernaturally ripped by God. Why? To demonstrate that now there is access into the presence of God and the access is no longer through the high priest and his blood, that he brought, uh, the blood he brought from the, uh, uh, the animal. Access now is through Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can gain access to God. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's 1 Timothy 2.5. And so it says here that we have, um, it says through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. So now we have access to God. And it's so wonderful because now that is ours. It's not He's not accessible on your own, however. That hasn't changed. It's just no longer do we come symbolically through the high priest uh, and the blood of bulls and goats. Now, the high priest is Jesus Christ. And we have access directly to God. What a great blessing.
Justification by God. Peace with God. Access to God. Says verse 2, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. When I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was so ashamed of my pride and so broken uh, the way that I acted for all those years, especially the last year and a half. Mocking those Christian girls and pushing them away and laughing at the Bible and ridiculing it. I was so ashamed that I felt like all I could do was crawl before God. And that's how I felt I came to Him, just crawling, saying, Father, I am a sinner. I am no longer this arrogant, proud, young American man thinking I have it all. Oh, dear God, save me. I felt like I crawled. But do you see what it says? It says, through whom also we have access by faith in this grace in which we stand. And so this access that we have to God, we get to stand in His presence. And so it's talking about position before God. That's the fourth of our blessings. We have position before God, not only just access, but when we're there, we stand because we are His child. I don't make my children crawl before me. They come to me and I'm happy to see them. When they were little, I had my office. I was a church planter in Utah for 10 years. My office was in my home because we had to rent a facility. And so the church office was in my home and my kids would just kind of walk in. Five kids, they'd just walk in. I'd see them and I'd say, Hi, hey, come on up here. They come into my, my lap and I'd give them a kiss on the cheek and they'd get down and walk away. About 20 seconds, 30 seconds, that's all it was. I didn't say, Hey, don't you ever come into my presence unless you're crawling. <laughs> They're my kids, I love them. I love to have them come in to see me. And so we're, we're in the family of God and it says we have access by faith, yes, but in which we stand. In fact, uh, this word um, access is the word that is uh, translated. The idea is that you are escorted or ushered as royalty. <laughs> so here we are on the other side of this veil. And we're out here the way I was when I was growing up in Minnesota, an unbeliever and proud and sinful or whatever it is that's in your life. And when we finally gain access to God, I kind of felt like I should be crawling. Instead, I come in and it says I'm escorted as if royalty now. I'm his son. And he escorts and I'm escorted up into his presence and I'm able to stand. I can stand as a son. And then I read in the word that I receive all the blessings of his son. In fact, I'm, going to, I'm an heir. I'm going to inherit everything. I'm going to inherit everything from Jesus Christ. It's, it's shocking. Position before God. So to see this, it's just amazing. This honored relationship that we have um, begins justification by God. Peace with God. 
access to God, position before God. And then, this is where the men we just went last or yesterday looked at this part. At the end of verse 2, it says, uh, We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Fifth of our blessings, hope in God. Hope. Now we have hope. And I told the men yesterday, that was the one thing that I actually knew in the heart of my hearts that I didn't have hope. I didn't have any hope at all. When I was an unbeliever, no hope at all. And uh, now this word hope in English means, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of hope. It's perhaps a possibility. Matt's hoping that the Maple Leafs are going to win the Stanley Cup. Right, Matt? Is it going to happen? Probably not. Probably not, yeah. <laughs> but that's his hope every year. That's what we say about hope. But that's not the Greek meaning of the word. Uh, the Greek word here, it's the idea of um, confident expectation. It's certain. It's not yet realized. It's like watching the video of the game, the seventh game, when the Leafs do win it all. And Matt already knows it, and he can watch when they go down six to nothing after two periods, and they come back with the most amazing comeback with seven goals in the third period, and they win it in the game seven, and they're the Stanley Cup champs. Matt will say, yeah, first goal, big, fourth goal, who cares? Sixth goal, it doesn't matter. You can't wait, and you won't believe that third period. I already know what's going to happen, because we're going to get seven goals, and we're going to take it home. We've got the cup. And they already said that they're going to bring the cup to NBBI for a day. The guy, the guy with the little white gloves is going to show up. And Matt will be like weeping, holding it. And... You see, one thing is hope. In English, it's kind of like, oh. that's why we're laughing, because I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> but if he's watching it, and he already, it's already happened, and then he's just watching the videotape, that's a different story. That's kind of like us. We know who's going to win at the end of history. So our hope is that it's just like that confident guy watching the game and replay say, I already know the score. I already know how it's going to end. We win. So he just sits like this. Huh. Yep. Turnover. Who cares? Yeah. Go ahead, cheer, you dumb Bruins. You know, <laughs> thinking you're going to do something here. You know, we know it's going to happen. Watch and weep in Boston. Uh, so the idea is this is confident expectation. It's certain. It's just not yet realized. So we know it's in the future. It's going to happen. It just hasn't yet. That's hope. Now, as you go back to what we've been talking about tonight, justification, that's past. This position before God and access before him is, this, is present. Hope is future. And so uh, in the midst of all kinds of situations in life, we have hope. Look at what it says in verse 3. Not only that, we glory in tribulations. Tribulation is the idea of an a olive press or a wine press squeezing you down. And then knowing tribulation produces perseverance. Guys, you remember this from yesterday. You get squeezed down with tribulation, but the word perseverance... Uh, is the word to remain under. So you're getting squeezed and you can remain under the, the squeezing because 
of our hope. So it says tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Hope. Our hope that we have. That's our fifth blessing. Well, another blessing right there in verse 5. It says now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The last one tonight is the love of God. We have the love of God. It says there, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. And the metaphor there is hungry, or I should say thirsty, and desperate for drink. And you put a little cup there, and like a 20-gallon just continues to pour water. And then 20 more gallons, it never ends. You see, the love just never ends. Love from God poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the love which God has for us. Uh, We see that in verse 8. God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10, we're enemies. But God loved us. And so the water of God's love is just being poured out into our hearts so that now we can love other people. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The love of God poured out into our hearts so that now we can love other people. You know, the the gospel is so powerful as it changes lives. I've seen some, some angry, mean people totally changed because the love of God was poured into their hearts. And now an overflow of the love of God in their hearts is now overflowing to everyone else in their lives. So angry, mean-spirited husbands become concerned about their wife. And uh, uh, bitter, gossipy women get changed because the love of God changes them. It's poured into their hearts. And uh, the idea is that we can now love Because He loved us. And when we have justification by God, peace with God, access to God, position before God, hope in God, then the love of God is given to us. Poured out into our life. And as we already saw, in verse number 2, it says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 11, not only that, we rejoice in God through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The last one is the joy of God. I said the last one's love of God. I'm going to throw this one right in here at the end. The joy of God. It says we rejoice. We brag about. That's literally the word. We boast. Because God's so good, we just explode with His joy. And so, um, His all these things He's done for us, all of our blessings, culminate in this great joy, the joy of God. And so 
Um, we have these great blessings in our lives. And the reason I threw the last one in there, because I had six and number six isn't a good number if you know your Bible. So I have seven. So justification by God, peace with God, access to God, position before God, hope in God, love of God. Lastly, joy of God is ours. And that's what happened to me on October 2nd, 1972. And three months later, almost to the day, on January 3rd, 1973, I enrolled as a student at Grand Rapids School of Bible and Music, which is the Bible Institute. That's why I was also looking forward to coming here, because I love NBBI, and I'd never been here. But I just knew. I love Bible Institutes. I love what they do. I love the students. I love the faculty and staff. And I love the supporters, those of you who help support the school. So that's what happened to me when I came to know Christ. And if you know Him as your Savior, those seven blessings are yours as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these dear people here in Somerville. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for the wonderful blessings that they share with me, even though we've never met. We're able to describe the great joy that is ours because of Jesus Christ and these wonderful blessings that are ours. They're eternal blessings, and we're so thankful, Father. So we just want to say we're grateful. And I do pray your blessing on this church, that they'll continue to be a lighthouse in this community, in this province, in this nation, and then around the world. So, Father, use them for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.